Okay. Uh, I'm going to go on a, a different track to the theme we've been um, speaking about recently. Um, because God's been challenging me um, about how we think, just on average, how we think and how we view the purpose of our lives. Because who knows, who wants to look at the end of your life, look back and think, I made a difference? And we all want that, don't we? I'm leaving something. I'm leaving somebody. I've done something good with my life. It's counted for something. We all want a little bit of that. But sometimes we wait till it's too late to start thinking like that. If we could start thinking about that now, then later on, we'll think, oh, we lived what we talked about. You see what I'm saying? And God's been challenging me and he's going to challenge you along those lines. Um, I've called this message, if you like titles, The Cathedral in Your Heart. Ooh, turn to the person next to you and say, you've got a cathedral in your heart. Let's pray this morning. Father God, I just thank you for every amazing, brilliant, awesome person you've gathered this morning. Each of us unique. Each of us on a different journey in life with different thoughts and feelings, Father God. But you love us the same. So my prayer is, Lord God, that everyone here would leave better than the way they came in. Everyone here would be encouraged, maybe a tad challenged, to be a better version of themselves. Thank you that you love us just as we are, Father God, but you love us so much you don't want to leave us the way we are. So we say, change me today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, awesome. The cathedral in your heart. It it comes from this passage here in 1 Kings uh, and uh, chapter 8, verses 14 through 19. I will read it to you. It says this. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and blessed them. Then he said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel who with his own hands has fulfilled what he promised with his own mouth to my father David. (coughs) For he said, since the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, uh, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built so that my name might be there. But I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. My father David had it in his heart. Turn to the person next to you and say he had it in his heart. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father, you did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you're not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood. He is the one who will build the temple for my name. Can you see what happens here? God didn't ask David to build him a temple. David had it in his heart to build a temple. He loved the Lord God so much. He thought, I want to do something to create a place that will glorify and honor God. And God said, that's good. It's good that you've got that in your heart. But it's so big, you're not going to do it. Your son's going to do it. And the point I want to make today, and I want to challenge with us today, could we carry something so big in our lives that we can't even finish it? But it takes another generation to finish what's been in your heart. Can you see what I'm trying to say? I want to challenge us into generational thinking today, and it isn't normal for us. Solomon, King Solomon, built the temple. David's son. David had it in his heart. His son built it. Can you see the picture I'm trying to draw here? Uh, the reason this was highlighted to me, I was listening to someone um, speak on the radio, and they were talking about this particular passage, and they said they heard Martin Luther King speak on this very passage. And what he, what he found was that Martin Luther King was preaching in a pulpit that his dad had preached in and his dad's dad had preached in. And so here was, here was Martin Luther uh, standing there in a place that represented now three generations. 
And how cool must that have been? His granddad carried something so powerfully that it influenced his dad. And his dad carried something so powerfully that it influenced his son. And here is the son standing in a place where two generations before him have preached great news about Jesus. Isn't that exciting and encouraging? And I want to be someone who feels like, yeah, you know, inheritance is awesome. And no one wants to wish away their family, do they? But isn't it awesome if and when that time comes that you inherit a house, an heirloom, some money, a car, whatever? Is that that's, it's good to leave an inheritance for your family? It's a good thing. The Bible says it's good to leave an inheritance. It's better to leave a legacy. You see, inheritance is what you leave behind, stuff. Legacy is who you leave behind. Do you see? And if you're carrying something so big, it doesn't even have to just be your immediate family you leave behind. I want to carry something so big that people after me carry it. We leave a legacy. You could leave a legacy. You could get to the end of your time and think, I haven't just left stuff. I've left passion. I've left vision. I've left people that have been inspired by the way I lived and they'll continue it. Jesus left a legacy. I want to leave a legacy. Could you leave a legacy? We could leave a legacy. And that right there, back to our impact offering, is part of it. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were able to purchase a building that we left way behind us and the legacy of Equipus Essex continued? Way beyond where we came from. When I look at our church journey, it's already, I'm finding it inspiring that younger people than me, I'm getting older, Younger people than me are coming here and grabbing hold of the vision. That inspires me. You see, the reason we started this church in the first place, the reason God spoke to me and prompted me to do this, was to create a space where he would be honoured, but unchurched people could come and find their fit. We set this church up so people who don't know Jesus, people who aren't used to the church, could come here and go, oh, that's actually quite good. Not many churches have that, unfortunately, today. But isn't it great that we're creating an environment where people who don't know Jesus can come and meet Jesus? Where all the myths around Jesus, which are so blown out of proportion and wrong, you know, Jesus does not want to box you in, ruin your life and tell you off. Jesus came that you'd have the fullest life, the best life, and he wants to break you out of the box and make your life better. But somewhere in it all, it's all got mishy mashed up and people who are unchurched are like, who'd want to know Jesus? He ruins your life. No, he doesn't. He makes it way better. Give me a wave if Jesus made your life better. There you go, right there. There's not many excited people in this room. (laughs) I suppose he kind of did. Are you hearing me? So we started this thing with that as our background. The difficulty with that kind of vision is the, the people who find that the hardest are churched people. Do you hear me? You see, the thing with churched people, and I'm one... So I'm not pointing at anyone else here. I am one. The difficulty with church people, if you've been in church a long time and you've gone under certain styles and sung certain songs and prayed a type of prayer and done, and God's blessed it. And it's been good. It's been really good. And sometimes I feel like you bring in a new style, funny lights, bad clobber. You bring in different styles and church people are like, it's not what we used to do. And the trouble is, God isn't interested in style. People are interested in style. You see, and what's happening is, the average church in our nation now is less than 50 people per congregation. Smaller than 50 people. I'm being kind. I read a stat this week that says 26 people is the average congregation in our country. 
What that means is the church is no longer reaching the unchurched people. And I wonder if one of the reasons is we're so stuck in our style that went on 50 years ago, unchurched people come in and go, nah, it's not for me. And so God raises up a generation of people to say, we want to create an environment where unchurched people can come in and go, oh, this is really good. Do you see? And that's what we're doing here, and that's why. The reality is, for people who have clung on to style for so long, the church is dying, literally dying, because people are getting old. And unless we can reach out to a younger generation, we're never going to leave a legacy of the church because it's going to die. And so it's not for us about style. Styles will come and go. This style will change one day. I'll come into church as an older guy with some of the young people, and I'll be sitting there going, I hate this music. And it was way better in my day. Do you know? But I'm going to get past myself because if that is what is reaching people in that time, God bless it. Do you see? It's not about my preference. It's about what is God is using today. I believe God is asking us not to be hooked on styles, but to be the church. And when I say that, I mean to create a bunch of people that will welcome all people. You know, if, I, if you're a new person here or relatively new, I hope you felt welcome. If you didn't, come and tell me and I'll punch a few people. Because <laughs> we need to be the most welcoming group of people on the planet. We are representing heaven. Heaven's welcoming place. If church isn't a welcoming place, we're doing it wrong. Do you hear me? I believe God's saying, be the church. Don't get hooked up on the style. This is where style is important. Is your style reaching unchurched people? That's where it's important. We can get past style. We can sing this song. We can do it quiet. We can do it loud. We can sing a 1920s hymn. We can sing 2019 Planet Shakers, Planet Boom, Banging stuff. We can do either or and God will bless it. But what is touching the people we're called to reach? That's what's important. And so we can get past this stuff. The people I admire in our group are the people who have been in church years and are living what I just said. They're coming here and saying, I prefer older songs because it's what I was brought up on and I loved it. But I'll come here because I can see God's doing something. And I want to be part of a church that is touching the next generation. A round of applause for all those people who fit into that bracket right now. Come on, church. Let's bless our... The reason those people can come, and there's quite a few, and it's a growing group of people, the reason they can come is because they know they're here to leave a legacy. It's not about my preference. It's about getting behind what God's doing today. I, I loved it. I was speaking to Chris Cotterill uh, two or three weeks ago, and she says, do you know what, Barry? I can die a happy woman. And she wasn't saying she wants to die. But she said, I, 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 if I die, I could die a happy woman because I've seen my grandchildren worship. Do you know? It's not about Chris Cottle's preference. It's about seeing younger people getting excited about Jesus. And that right there, so just God bless you. We need mothers and fathers in the church. We need you. So if you can get past the style issue and be a mother and father and you will just help younger people to grow in the faith, you're going to be doing an awesome, awesome thing. We must get past our comfort and be driven by compassion. I love it that when you look down here, we've got a mosh pit full of young people. And I'll include myself in that. But isn't it great? Old people, come and join the mosh pit. It's not for the kids, it's for everyone. 
Because when you see young people getting in there going, yeah, come on, Jesus, it's great. They're releasing something on the inside that says hallelujah, and it's good, and it's good. So this whole idea of cathedrals, um, you know, this cathedral in the heart thing, uh, you'll be quite familiar. England is quite good with cathedrals, isn't it? We've got some great history. Now, we invite a lot of uh, guest speakers from New Zealand here, and we love taking them around the town because New Zealand is such a young country. When they come here and they, they find that there's a church across the road that was built in the year 300, they're like, what? You know, we've, got a, we've got a castle that was built in the year 900. They're like, what? They absolutely love it. Do you know about our tenant? Are you familiar with the nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall? Give me a wave. Do you know that the hole in the wall, that's the wall? Did you know that? Humpty Dumpty, that, this is here. Humpty Dumpty was never an egg. Humpty Dumpty was a cannon. <laughs> and they put, I'm, I'm off track now, but I'll do it now. I've got... <laughs> Humpty, yeah, quick, take a photo. <laughs> Humpty Dumpty was a cannon who sat at the top of, of Balkan Hill. And as the army came across, they would normally just pick them off. There's no way past it. But Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall and broke. And they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. But it was there. That's it. That's Humpty Dumpty's wall. It's in Colchester. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I think I'll take credit for the, for the history of Colchester right there. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. But our play, we've got so much history here, and it's so, so good. And we're good at that as a country. Have a look at some of these photos. A couple of cathedrals. How intricate and amazing is that? How, how, how did they even build that? I couldn't draw that, let alone build it. Look at that. What's the next one? Look at these. Look at them. Just amazing. Just, just incredible. I think there's another one. Look at, these, look at these cathedrals. Incredible. I think there's a picture of an inside of one. How intricate. Aren't they, you know, someone took the time to build that to glorify God. Do you know how long it took? Do you know how long it took on average to build a cathedral? Between 200 and 500 years. Here's my point. Someone started something they knew they would never see finished. And yet we get to enjoy it. See, they left something that glorified God that they'd never see finished finished and they were willing to say we're going to start this thing because we're committed to it i just love this idea of leaving something for generations to come that we may never see finished but it's a god thought do you hear me so there's a cathedral i believe in each of your hearts that you may never see finished but if you're willing to get it started the generations to come after you are going to go i'm so glad you did that that has set me up thank you david didn't see the temple he had in his heart built his son solomon built it but God said to David it's good that you've got it in your heart because you passed can you hear me it's good giving your life to something you'll never see finished is a really weird thought you know it's like planting a tree that you'll never sit under and it's the idea that you're never going to quite see it and the reality is in today's society we live for now our average language is what do I get out of it that's the society we live in it just is we can all see that but We serve a God who has generational thinking. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He always refers to himself as three generations. And the idea of three generations is if something sticks for three generations, it sticks forever. And so God says, I'm here forever. He's actually the God of eternity. But he refers to himself as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's three generations. It's how he thinks. It's not necessarily how we, his church, think. So my challenge today for us is, could we shift that? 
could we enjoy our lives now? Absolutely important. Yes, Jesus came that you'd have the best life now. But could we get past that and say, what legacy am I going to leave? What am I doing to set someone else up? The church isn't just for our benefit and our enjoyment, but it's to create an opportunity for future generations to go further than us. Can we picture this? Josh, Somto, Daisy, Eliana, Judah, Faye, Raphael, William, Naomi, being set up to go further than we've ever been. Can you see it? You know, all the kids at the front here, we could position them to, to use us as a springboard to go, wow, we want to love this town so much that homelessness is eradicated. We want to love this town so much that fatherlessness is eradicated because people are meeting Jesus and getting healthy and whole and healed and it's better. We can have impact and we will, do you know? I'm believing we will see a church of thousands in our time. What could our kids see? What could their kids see if we would be prepared to sow into not just thinking about ourselves? We have the opportunity to leave a legacy. Everything you do now, we've got so many amazing, amazing people serving in our church. I, I just love it. When you're serving, if you're driving the minibus, if you're teaching, if you're leading something, if you're giving to the church, even if you're attending and coming here, it isn't just about what's happening now. It's about setting up something in the future too. Can you, can you think like that? Can you start thinking, I want to love this. I want to be inspired. I want to get in the presence of God. I want to be taught. I want to be whole. I want to be healed. And I want to help someone else now. But it's more than that because I want to set my kids up and their kids up to go further than we've ever gone. We have this opportunity right now. So when you are serving, you're doing something that carries eternal value. So go home and feel like I'm making a difference. Because you really are. You're really making a huge difference. Here's a thought. Here's a generational thought. How many of you would have liked it if you were born a millionaire? Oh, come on. Oh, oh not me. I'd rather be poor. Let's be a responsive church. How many of you would have liked to have been born a millionaire? If you haven't got your hand up, big fat liar pants on fire. It's the truth, isn't it? But here's a thought. We have the ability to set that up. I'll show you. And I've got some uh, financial advice people in the building, so I better keep my figures straight here. Ian's got his calculator out. Here's a thought. If you were to save £100 per month, now for a lot of people in here that's possible, and you put it into an investment fund that generated a 6% return, and my understanding is that's possible, I dumbed it down because I think you can get higher. If you put that into a fund that generated a 6% return and didn't touch it, and you did that for 35 years, do you know how much you'd have at the end? £142,000. Here's the generational bit. It's not for you. How many people, when you get to 100 grand, thinking, I'm having that, I'm having that, I've got that, oh. I'm having that little holiday, little Ferrari. But it's not for you. You see, and then you teach your children to have the same attitude. And they inherit £142,000 and for 35 years add to that £100 a month at a 6% return. Their children will inherit £1.3 That's possible. But it's only possible when you have generational thinking. Do you see? 
You see, we talk about inheritance, and what we mean by that is my parents will one day pass away and leave me some stuff, and that stuff's for me, and I'm going to spend it and enjoy it. Thank you very much. But generational thinking says they've left that to me. I'm going to add to it and pass it on. And so the day will come that our grandchildren or their children would be millionaires. And if they were taught to steward money well, your family forever would be wealthy. And money isn't the be-all and end-all. Don't get me wrong. It's not what I'm saying. But you know what? It can half take some stress out sometimes. It's not enough helpful and healthy. It's nice to be positioned to say, I want to help someone with my extras and overs. We're all affected by money. But can you see what generational thinking does? It shifts us from the difficulty and struggle we live in now to think, I've lived like this, but my grandkids aren't going to live like this. Because I'm going to just see. There's something good about generational thinking that you can never get just thinking for now. And it's a God thing. There are no men in the house. We have an opportunity here and now to build a great church. You know, and I know each of you carries this in your heart. And I know this because when you start considering your friends, your family members, your work colleagues, your social scene, the people at your gym, the people on the school run, when you start thinking of people you're close to encountering the love of Jesus and their life skyrocketing, something in your heart goes, yes. You see, that's what church should be. It should be a bunch of people that so get full of Jesus that everywhere we go, we're reaching out to people to say there's a better life. There's hope for you. There's healing for you. There's a God in heaven who created you for purpose and loves you. And when we start sowing that out and giving that out and we see people coming into this environment and meeting Jesus, something in our heart goes, yes, do you hear me? And it's like, we all carry that in our hearts. So when we look at about David and says in his heart, he carried this thing. So do you. There is a cathedral in your heart. It's there. But what it is, is it's unpacking all of this. I love that idea. If, if each of us could reach out to three people and show them what Jesus really looks like. Now, it, it's one of my biggest bugbears as a senior leader. When I hear people talk about Jesus incorrectly, like, you know, he's, oh, he's just full of judgment and punishes you and tells you off. And, no, no, no. You are righteous because Jesus was righteous, not because of anything you did. And sometimes I stuff things right up. But you know what? I'm still righteous. Why? Because Jesus is my righteousness. When God the Father looks at me, you might think he's looking at me in judgment, but he has to look at me through the blood of Jesus because Jesus died for me. That was the whole point. He's, like, he's hung on a cross and said, Barry, I love you. And he was perfect. And so when God looks at me, even in the stupid things I sometimes do think and say, the blood of Jesus is covering me. And so he looks through this filter, which is the blood of Jesus, and says, Barry, you're flipping awesome. And I go, yes, I am. It's releasing. You know, I, I like to put it like this. Most people who are at some stage in their life have, have had some alcohol will understand the meaning beer goggles. And what beer goggles is, is when you have Enough drink to go past your normal standards and you start to seeing the world differently and people differently. It's beer goggles, you see it differently. I almost feel like the blood of Jesus is, is like the blood of Jesus goggles. God looks at me and here I am, who I am, doing my best. But he doesn't see that, he sees perfection because he sees it through the blood of Jesus. That's just brilliant. And yet everyone who's not in, or not everyone, lots of people who aren't in church looking at them, Jesus is judging. No, he's not. He died a death he didn't deserve because he was saying, I love you. 
and setting you up to have a relationship with the Father, who, by the way, is the healer, the provider, the protection. He, he loves you so much, he wants to have the best life. And this is what we can present to people. And that is actually in your heart. So what are we going to do about it? Here's the thing. I think for too long, the existing church has been praying for a move of God. God, when are you going to show up in Colchester? Holy Spirit, when are you going to come and flood the place? And people are going to get healed and everything's going to be sorted and we're going to go, yeah, awesome. But God is sitting there saying, when's the church going to move? Church is like, God, when are you going to move? And God's like, church, when are you going to move? And here's why. Jesus was God's best idea. And he doesn't have another idea. It was his best idea. He came and he represented heaven. And everywhere he went, he blessed people. He healed people. He encouraged people. Everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, there was masses of crowds of people who wanted to see what this Jesus was about. He was attractive. He got invited to all the most amazing parties. I don't get invited to them. He did. And people today say, like, oh, Jesus. Is... Well, everyone wanted to be around him when he was there. So either... We're doing something wrong or we're not representing the authentic Jesus because everyone loved the authentic Jesus. Do you see? And so Jesus is all about loving on us, equipping us for life, seeing the best in us, healing us, positioning us in a relationship with his father. So it was good. But then he said this, all authority has been given to me. Now you go and do it. But what we're doing in the church is still saying, God, you do it. And he's like, no, no, did you not hear? Let me show you a couple of passages. Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19 says this, Jesus speaking. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make the disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Can you see? We're here saying, God, will you do something? And he's like, I sent my best. And he says, I've got the authority and I'm giving that authority to you. Now you go and do it. So we need to get active, church. We carry the best message on the history of the planet. When we're going to start chirping up about it a little bit. Acts 1 verse 8, another very famous passage says this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus said, it's better that I go back to the Father. Here's a, here's a, here's a bit of a spoiler. They killed him on a cross, but he gets up. Death couldn't hold him. And the reason death couldn't hold him because they couldn't find any fault in him. So they had no reason to hold him down. So he gets back up. And he says, now I've got all authority. And I'm going to go to the Father. It's better I go there because I'm one person on the earth. I'm going to send the Spirit. And the Spirit can live in all of you. So if you're willing to say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. He will come in in you and, you, and he will give you power to be Jesus' witness. Which means you do it. We're saying, God, come and turn up. He has turned up. He's in you. And we're like, God, do something. I have done my best. You do it. Getting all squeaky now. Are you hearing me? We need to be a bunch of people who are prepared to pray scary prayers. Lord, we want a million pound building. And we don't want a million pound building to glorify a million pound building. We want a million pound building to glorify your name in our town. Do you see? But we ain't got a million quid. But that's nothing to God when we start praying scary prayers. But we could position ourselves with a deposit because we could do that. Do you hear me? We need to be praying for that person who you love and care for to get healed miraculously in a way that they couldn't deny that had to be God. 
You know, we need to be prepared, prepared to go and boldly speak to people and say, do you know, I see you've had a difficult time. You know, do you want to have a coffee? Because I care about that kind of stuff. I want to see you do well. And what you're doing is you're showing them Jesus. You're not Bible bashing anyone. You're showing them what Jesus looks like. He loved people. So could we be a bunch of people who get bolder in what we'll say? Could we get bolder in who we might invite to stuff? We've got an alpha course. Who would you invite if you weren't scared? Come on, don't pray God do something. You do it. Invite something. I'm aggressive now. You do it. Do you hear? It's like, come on, you must have a friend. If you haven't got a friend, go out and get a friend. You know? And say, I go to this church. It's awesome. It inspires me. I've got this alpha course. Do you fancy coming home and look? What if they said yes? What if they said yes? You're passing on a legacy. Because I believe when people get into the presence of God, it's like, what's not to like? Life just gets better. So who would you speak to on the school run? Who would you speak to in the gym? Who would you speak to in the, in the, in the pub? If you really felt like I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this stuff, it's not even me doing it. I'll open my mouth. God will come through for me. Come, let me stir you up. We are called to be moving as a church, not just enjoying, oh, this is nice. This building's nice. We've got a nice crowd. It's really good. This is lovely. No, no, let's make plans to grow. Let's make plans to have bigger influence. Let's make plans to love some people. Let's move because God is drawn to movement. You know, you know that a boat, if it's still, the rudder can do this and this and this, but it doesn't go anywhere. It has to be moving. So as the church starts to move, God becomes the rudder and he will guide us. We might make terrible decisions. But you know what? God doesn't care. As long as we're moving, he can guide us. It's true here in Psalm 37, verse 23. It says this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. The key there is the good man has to be stepping. It doesn't say the standing stillness of a good man is ordered by the Lord. It says, church, come on, let's start making some plans. Let's start moving forward. Let's start reaching out to some people. Let's start praying for some people. Let's start doing some stuff. And as we do that, God will order it. We might not get it right every time, and that's cool. But God will come in and say, I love that you're moving. I can use that. Can I inspire some people to think this isn't even just about me. This is about a legacy I could leave. This is about someone else having their life empowered and touched by God. Generations are at stake here. I love this, that Jesus was always about generations. He says this, and this is so encouraging. In John 14 and verse 2, it says this. My father's house has many rooms. If that was not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? See, here's the thing. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew he was going to be crucified. He knew he'd rise again, and he knew he'd go back to the Father. But he says he's going there to prepare a place for you. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked the planet, but he was already preparing for you. You see, he wasn't even thinking about the next group of people, the disciples. He was chatting to the disciples, and they're all thinking, oh, he's speaking about us, and he was. But you know what? Here we are in 2019. He was also talking about you. Because he isn't restricted by time. He's the God of eternity. He had you on his mind. And you know what? In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, it says, No eye has seen or can even imagine how good the things God has for you. You can't even imagine how good that place is. I sometimes have a little think to myself, what could heaven be like? You know, and it's just like, I don't even, it's such a massive concept, isn't it? But what I do know is that Jesus says, I go there and I'm preparing the most amazing room for you. Your room will be different to mine because what I consider heaven might be different to what you consider heaven. You know, Kenny will have it full of Liverpool stickers. (laughs) Gary wouldn't. (laughs) 
But my point is, God knows you. And he's always been thinking generationally. He's always been thinking long term. You were on his mind. And he's preparing a place for you. And there he was, hanging on a cross, dying a death he didn't deserve. Trumped up charges, did nothing wrong. They chose a convicted murderer over him. And he was positioning you. All the while, he was reaching out to the Father and saying, forgive them, they don't even know what they're doing. That just blows me away. If someone is literally killing me, the last thought in my mind is, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yes, they flipping do. They know exactly what they're doing. But Jesus is like, no, they, they haven't grasped who I am. Forgive them. Even then, he was positioning people for the best opportunity for a relationship with their father. And on that cross, I believe, he was thinking of me. He was thinking of you. He was thinking of the person next to you. And he was saying, I'm going back to my father and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it's going to be epic, so epic you couldn't even imagine it. See, he always had you on his mind, even when he's hanging on a cross. But here's the great thing. Death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him. Oh, I love it on the, the Passion of the Christ film where it ends and you just see him walking out. It's like, come on. Rocky's got nothing on Jesus. Do you know, he comes out and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I hold the keys to life and death. Now go. He's like, come on, church, let's go. He's saying, come on, Equippers Essex, let's go. Let's go and love some people. Let's go and be kind to some people. Let's go and share our faith with some people. Let's go and pray for some people. Let's go and help some people because we're representing Jesus and he's left us a legacy that we can run with. Or we can sit here and go, this is nice. Got a nice church. It's really good. We sing good songs and it's nice. And we have a coffee and we, we give a, have a hug. We're good at a hug. It's really nice. I don't want to be the nice church. I want to be the church that makes a difference. I want to be the church that represents heaven. I want to be the church that has testimonies and stories of God's goodness all around it. I want to become a beacon on the hill that people look at and go, every people who go, everyone who goes there, they just have good stories to tell. I want to go there. Why? Because Jesus is in it. And he said on the cross, come on, I'm thinking of you. What an opportunity to build the kind of church that Jesus had in his heart. Solomon built the temple that David had in his heart. What would today's church look like that Jesus had in his heart? Could we build that? Could we be the kind of people with enough grit and determination and oomph and faith to say, God, use me to build the kind of church you want to see? And that will take buildings, but it's much more about people. Much more about us being a community and a family of faith, loving on each other, but not just loving on each other, reaching outside of ourselves to love on other people. And it represents heaven well. There is a cathedral in your heart. And my prayer today is that I could stir that up for you to enjoy now, to sow into now, but to believe it's going to have a legacy later. And we may never see it. But you know what? The mosh pit at the front might see it. Now, we've had uh, prophecies all over our church about 7,000 people being with us. And that's not what we see now. but It's what God sees. Could we grab that and pull that down and say, we want to see a church so big that you know, the police have to turn up to sort of help us get in the building? Do you know, I went to see Colchester beat Tottenham. Oh, did I say Colchester beat Tottenham? Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, anyway, we beat Tottenham. Colchester beat Tottenham. Yeah. Um, 
Anyone listening on podcast, your culture's to beat Tottenham. <laughs> and you know what? I live three, three, four miles away from the, the ground. I left my house and it took me two hours to get there. Because 10,000 people were going to one place at the same time and just clogged up all the traffic. Wouldn't it be epic if church became so full that it, that it stopped the traffic all around the town? The people, what else is going on? The culture's to blame. No, no, no. Equippers Essex is meeting. Do you know? There is something more exciting about representing heaven and, and inviting Jesus into your heart than watching cultures to beat Tottenham. Did I say that again? <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying, though? All jokes aside, we have this opportunity, church, to inspire each other. To call heaven down and stop saying, God, will you do something? And say, come on, what can we do empowered by God? Stop praying a prayer of God show up in our town. He has showed up in our town. He's right sitting next to you right now. Could we stir up the gifts in each other to say we could make this town better because we carry the power and authority of Jesus Christ? If Jesus was walking the streets of Colchester, it would be a better place. But the reality is there's lots of Jesus walking around this place because we carry the heart of him right inside of us. Are you with me? Are you stirred? Can you get it? Could you challenge yourself to start thinking differently? That would be awesome. Can I get you to stand? I'd love to pray for you.